Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Once again, listeners to Failed Critic, uh, episode 17, I believe. I'm Steve Norman, joined by James Diamond. Hello. I was going to call you James McCauley then, I don't know why. It was just, I've, just watched Saints, I've just watched Saints almost beat Man City, oh, my mind's gone. Uh, Owen Hughes. Hello. And the returning after last week, Jerry McCauley. Hello. Or Jerry Diamond. Biggest comeback since Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, after after last week's uh, special that we did, failed listeners, we're back to normal this week. Start off with a bit of movie news, then review the films we've been watching this week, followed up uh, and ending with our review of The Bourne Legacy, the fourth film in the Bourne series, but not starring Matt Damon as Jason Bourne. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting concept. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yes. Um, right. So, movie news then, James. Yeah. Well, in the last couple of weeks, two bits of news has come out, which I'm sure I'm excited by. Uh, the first one is regarding Avengers 2. Uh, in the last week, we've got a release date for Avengers 2 already. It's May 1st, 2015. Um, that'll be Failed Critics episode, I don't know, 200 or something like that. Um, and yes, obviously, it's going to be our review of the week. Um, but the most important thing is that Joss Whedon has signed on, will be writing and directing. Can't they do uh, it any quicker than that? I mean, surely they can. Uh, well, it, just seems three... a, it just seems a long wait between films. I mean, three years is not. The, the thing you've got to think about Wedden though is all of a sudden he's Hollywood's darling and everyone's green lighting his projects, which they have been turning him down for for years. So um, he's apparently doing a TV show set in the Marvel Universe, which might be a new Incredible Hulk TV show. So he's kind of, um, what, what they call it, show running that by the sound of it. So he's going to be very busy and he's having to fit in Avengers into his schedule, I think. One other thing that came out this week I saw, Jeremy Renner may or may not return for Avengers 2 as Hawkeye because he's not really happy with the way his character panned out in the first film. Uh, And in an interview this week, he said it wasn't the movie, it wasn't the character he signed on to play. And you can kind of, I feel some sympathy for him there because he basically got brainwashed in the first five minutes and didn't really do much until the very end. But, I mean, he's... He just had nothing to do. I mean, Mm. he just... But he's not... And apparently that's not what he was, that's not what he wanted to do anyway. But but Hawkeye's not the biggest superhero out of all the ones in that film. And he's, he's probably not got the best superpower while it is quite handy to be as accurate as that with a bow and arrow it's probably got it's probably got the olympics or something yeah oh yeah i mean you could do hawkeye at the olympics fine but i mean i thought they could have made something out of the relationship between him and black widow you know kind of just even just um a sort of spin-off film with him and um and Scott yeah. Johansson playing those characters again. They could have gone somewhere. That could have been a superhero version of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and that was rubbish. <laughs> that, that was terrible. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the Avengers news. Um, and then, uh, as we spoke about when we reviewed the Avengers, and as we've spoken about a couple of times on here, especially on the Batman special, um, there is apparently a Justice League script being passed around Hollywood. It's been written by Will, or Will Beale, who has written the upcoming Gangster Squad, which, again, Hollywood, listening to me, uh, it's got Ryan Gosling in it. Um, 
looks fantastic, although it's been pushed back a little bit because they've had to recut some of it because there's a shooting in the cinema. And sadly, we can't leave alone fiction when it comes to uh, echoing real life. Um, but interestingly, it's been passed to Ben Affleck to direct, potentially. Um, ben Affleck, who's just finished Argo for Warner Brothers, which looks really interesting. If you've not seen the trailer for Argo, I've heard very, very good kind of um, pre-screening reviews coming through it. Um, so obviously Warner Brothers are very confident in Ben Affleck, but he did recently say he would never direct a film that he also wasn't starring in. So it does mean that Ben Affleck will, if he does direct, will likely play a superhero in it. Um, is Daredevil a Marvel one? He's not going to come back as Daredevil, is it? This is where I'm, Daredevil's Marvel. <laughs> yeah, this is now where I'm bowing to other people's far greater knowledge than mine. Well, I mean, who, um, who is who is the, who would he play? Who is the standard Justice League? It's Superman, Batman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, and Seaman, Aquaman. Aquaman or Green Lantern or Martian Manhunter. Yeah. I mean, he's wooden enough to play Martian Manhunter. And, and, and who and who have we had? You know, we've had Bale play Batman, but he's not playing Batman anymore. He said he won't do the film unless um, Nolan's writing it, and obviously he's not by the sound of it. So he he well, would I, be an absolutely appalling Batman, just for the record, because and, he was um, awful in Daredevil. Like, but, right, yeah. but, but maybe they maybe they. Um, you know, play Gordon Levitt as Batman, carry that theme on, or maybe they just recast them all together, which would probably mean a restart of the Batman franchise because you'd have probably you'd have to start him off in his own film rather than just come straight into the Justice League. Superman, we know, is being rebooted. They've had a Green Lantern recently. Um, the other thing that I've heard is that this is kind of origins almost. Um, well, the rumour is that it's quite origins and that DC are going to go the opposite way to Marvel and DC will do the spin-off films after the Justice League movie, which is an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. Hmm. A different take on it. They're not, yeah, apparently they're not going to set it up with, with the spin-offs first. They're going to take their time. And this apparently also scheduled for 2015. Does that mean that they have the Justice League when this film comes in would already be established or would they, be established as superheroes, but they'd have to form the Justice League at the start of the film. That I can't. That I don't know. But why but not? I think a lot of it is still speculation. Why don't you know? <laughs> you seem to know I'm everything out. Come on. I'm desperate to get hold of this script. I'll, I'll call up Ben. I'll call yeah. up Ben. See yeah. if he can see email it. See if he'll pass it on to Matt. He might be able to do something. Else yeah, there. that's true. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do like Ben Affleck as a director, though. I think he, I think mm-hmm. he's actually, he's pretty talented for you know the films that I've seen. Um, the Town, if anybody's seen The Town, I thought The Town was really, really well done. Um, but I watched Gone Baby Gone last week, and he's not in that, so... Oh. There's his rule, pissed off. Uh, well, was Gone Baby Gone his very first one? I think so, yeah. But it, uh, he did he did cast Casey in the, in the, yes, in the main role. It. I think, I'm pretty sure I remember him seeing, saying that after Gone Baby Gone, he was just so desperate to be on both sides that he wouldn't do it again kind of thing. I think that's what you said. Um, but yeah, so who was it who played Green Lantern? Was it Ryan Reynolds in that film? Yeah. So, I always get that confused with Green Hornet as well. I was just thinking Seth Rogen, but no, no that's, that's another so, one. So, I mean, that yeah. would, so if you, if you, if you would assume that Superman, Batman and Green Lantern are taken, he'd probably be playing the Flash. So you ain't going to play Wonder Woman. I'd love to see that, though. That I would <laughs> see, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm all over that. Some kind of transgender Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. She, awesome. she, she fell out of the limelight and uh, <laughs> and found her in a man. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm all over that. Anyway. <laughs> it could play some kind of love interest with Wonder yeah. Woman, you know? Yeah, exactly. Could, has, has the Justice League got a Nick Fury-esque, like, bloke? Mm, not really. Oh, okay, maybe you could write one. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just to really annoy fans. I, I've got my head in my hands talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's going to get the awful role as Aquaman, which is sort of the worst superhero who's got any kind of notoriety? I don't know. Someone, someone really rubbish. I mean, they sure, probably give that but, to like. I mean, get Seth Rogen to slim down again, and then just like speaking, speaking to like comic book fans, like 
Aquaman, if the if the problem's not at sea, what does he do? <laughs> or in an aquarium? Are you, are you referring to that Family Guy sketch with Aquaman, Steve, by any chance? Or or um, South Park, just <laughs> ripping it out of him with um, <laughs> the super best friends. I think yeah. they can do something interesting with um, Aquaman because part of his um, fallibility, I guess, is that. <laughs> If he's not in the sea, like you say, what does he do? And then, you know, in, in the recent comic series, they've got people taking the piss out of him for that. <laughs> so they, they make it into quite a touching story, so they can go somewhere with that. I think. <laughs> or just have, or just have the bad guy for the Justice League, maybe Lex Luthor and one of the Batman villains teaming up, and they use an aquarium as their base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an undersea, some kind of built into a cave under the sea kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I can see where, where that's going. Is Aquaman just a, a fish man, then? Or does he even do anything special underwater? He can talk to fish. <laughs> no, he so can. He's kind, of, he's, he's kind of Dr. Doolittle. He's, he's also super strong as well. So he can okay. punch people really hard. But he can't do anything that, like, Batman couldn't do with an aqualung. <laughs> um... Well, he can well, punch hard underwater. I don't know if you've ever tried to do anything quickly underwater, okay. but that's pretty hard. Okay, he can move through the water. Okay, fair enough. Very streamlined. He's the king of Atlantis, so... He's <laughs> got an army. Why hasn't this man had his own movie before? He's got, he's got, he's got, he's got an army, but again, redundant if the battle's on land. <laughs> I think they should go... They should do something stupid like get Michael Phelps to play Aquaman or something like that. Like, you know... Bring bring fiction and reality together. Ian Thorpe. Ian Thorpe needs to be on our screens more. They should definitely make Ian Thorpe do it. He'd be a very camp Aquaman. It would be awesome. <laughs> should we go on to what we've watched this week? <laughs> Jerry, what have you watched this week? Well, I'll briefly touch on, as I said, I watched Gone Baby Gone, Ben Affleck's first effort. I, I really enjoyed it. I have read the book years ago, um, the Dennis Lane novel that it's based on. And it, from what I remember... Can't can't exactly say that I'm 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 too exact with the way with my memory, but from what I remember, it's a pretty faithful retelling. Um, Casey Affleck's pretty good. Um, in general, the story is just what what ties it all together. It's 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 well acted. And speaking of you know the shooting in the cinema in that new film, the controversy. He seems to be making a habit of this because this one, if you remember, was the one that got. Um, delayed in UK screens because it was like parallel with Madeleine McCann when she went missing. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, he's, he's not doing too well. So hopefully Justice League doesn't have some kind of like massive earthquake hit in London or something and then uh, <laughs> he's going to jinx us all. But yeah, it's a good film. Um, it's available on Love Film if you want to watch it online. That's that's the only reason I watched it really. It was one of the better choices on Love Film. My main thing I'll talk about is because obviously I didn't talk about it last week. Um with Nail and I, which was my failed listener's choice. Somehow, despite everyone seeming to have seen this film apart from me, I've never watched this film before. Um, it's a bit of a cult classic. I can see why. I, I did I did really enjoy it. The, the characters are really good. The, did, did you know, by the way, that Richard E. Grant is um, totally uh, teetotal? Yes. Yeah, it's one of my favourite bits of trivia of the whole thing that he did that, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty amazed but, when I read that. I was well, like, wow. He was he was teetotal when he did it, or he's like just teetotal now and No, he was teetotal <laughs> when he did it. He's always been teetotal, yeah. <laughs> but um apparently he like they he, the director and um like the other actors like convinced him to drink once, just just you know, just to get a bit more of an understanding into his character and everything. And then they said he uh, they sold him the next day because he couldn't really remember much. Um they said, Oh, you'll never be that funny on screen again. And uh, <laughs> that was the last time that he, he drank. So, yeah, he, he, it's, I think his performance really sustains the film. Um, there's some good dialogue, don't get me wrong, the dialogue is good, but I think without that sort of captivating central performance from, from him, the film wouldn't work. I think if you had someone doing that same film with that same dialogue but not putting in that performance, I don't think it would work. I think you, you need that for it to be funny because it isn't obvious humour. It isn't, you know, like... Um, a four-year-old virgin kind of comedy, that kind of film. It's, you know, it's a bit more subtle and a bit more, um, shall we say, out there. 
and, and British. And, it's so yeah, quintessentially British. The, the humour <laughs> is really dry and and sarcastic, and not sort of obvious. It's not obvious lines or anything like that. It's, it isn't that American style of setting up lines. It's just mm. little asides and little remarks. And I really like that. I really like the style. Um, I thought at times it was a bit rambling and maybe a bit too long. But at the same time, when I was thinking back, there was, there's so many good scenes in it. There's nothing really that I could obviously say needed to be cut out. So um, I don't know. I can't really decide whether I think it was too long or whether it was about right. But yeah, it was a, it was a very good film. I really enjoyed it. So uh, kudos to whoever suggested that one as a filmless choice. Yeah, I, you're right. It, it, I think it's been quoted over and over again by loads of people. And just this week, I, it lines from it popping from my head just randomly and the one where uh, we went on holiday by accident is just it's like you say it's not it's not a, a jokey line it's just it's actually quite a beautiful little aside and it's full of little lines like that no i i adore with no line um i'm so glad that you enjoyed it james then while you're while you're yeah. here what was your well, what did this... you, you watched yeah, this week I, I went on holiday, not quite by accident. I was in Glasgow, and so I took the opportunity very quickly to say I went to see The Dark Knight Rises again. Um, finally, on IMAX at the Glasgow Science Centre. Very nice IMAX cinema, I have to say. And I just want to say, um, Dark Knight Rises for me held up on second viewing. I remembered loving it the day we recorded the Batman special. And over the couple of weeks after that, I read things and I spoke to people and I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe I was just top, caught up emotionally in it. And yeah, there might have been this plot hole or that plot hole or that might not might. But no, I went and saw it again. I still loved it. Um, and it still had that emotional hold over me. So no, brilliant film. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. I just, I, I think that needs to be seconded. If you haven't watched it again and you've started having those doubts, it, it totally, totally, totally works. And, and it looks fantastic on IMAX. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you get the chance, go and watch it on IMAX because you won't be able to recreate that at home. And it yeah. really is like the dedication to to using the IMAX and getting the most out of that is really yeah. staggering from uh, a filmmaking uh, perspective. I did see. Um, I spoke to someone earlier this week, and they said, "Yeah, they loved uh, the fact that he even used IMAX for the bit where Bruce Wayne gets out of bed and goes to the door and answers." The door kind of thing. <laughs> it's just like, I really needed to know the scale of uh, Wayne Manor there, but. Uh, uh, but the film I just quickly want to talk about is the film that I, because I've been on holiday, I haven't had a chance to watch much. Um, on Netflix UK, there's a documentary called Countdown to Zero. And it's a, basically a documentary about the nuclear arms race and why we're actually still in very great danger. Now, me being the old codger of the podcast, I actually remember when nuclear annihilation was admittedly fading, but it was still a possibility. Um as such, I developed a very unhealthy obsession and fear with nuclear bombs, nuclear war and things like that. And then I grew up, got over it, and then I watched this. It, this is one of the most depressing films I think I've ever seen. Um, is it like Threads? Did you watch Threads? Oh, day? God, Threads. I still can't watch Threads again. I watched it when I was younger. And, um, yeah, Threads, which I believe the full version's on YouTube, and I keep going to watch it and then pulling away. It is, um, I'll tell you, as someone from Sheffield, that is one scary, scary film. Oh, yeah. This is more about kind of how the world is today. There's a little bit less what would happen if a bomb went off in your city uh, in this. Um, although there is some of that. There's some really good archive footage, um, some really good kind of uh, reconstructions and things like that. But it is more about the dangers of it even happening in the first place now. And it starts off with a lot of kind of uh, talking heads and a lot of vox pops out across the world of people going, no, I don't really worry about nuclear war now. I don't worry about nuclear. Out of interest, do you guys, do you ever um, struggle to get to sleep at night thinking that a nuclear bomb might go off? I'm more worried about zombies and nuclear bombs, which is a bit irrational, but <laughs> I mean... Yeah, but there you go. See, that that's a generational thing there, I but, think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not anywhere near a major city, so... Mutations oh, yeah. from a nuclear bomb is more likely yeah, um, to be a problem isn't there for me. Kind of um, ports where potential submarines might be down on the south coast. You only, might be in trouble they, there. Only if they want to take out like a cross-channel ferry or something. Eh? <laughs> now, I don't think um, you know whoever is trying to nuke Great Britain is really too concerned about some old deers getting the ferry to Guernsey. Okay, and and that's where a lot of it comes. It's talking about the new style of because obviously previously it would have been 
uh, entire country annihilated because it wouldn't take that many nuclear bombs. But it's more about kind of terror organisations and rogue states now. And it, it starts off with a JFK quote, and it repeatedly comes back to this quote. It says, every man, woman and child lives under a nuclear sword of Damocles hanging by the slenderest of threads, capable of being cut at any moment by accident or miscalculation or by madness. Um, and those last three, accident, miscalculation and madness, they kind of they investigate each one of those and saying, well, how could that happen today? And, you know, there are, the fact is, all the nuclear missiles that America have and Russia have are still on um, 15-minute alert. So they could, you know, they they haven't switched off the alert. They're still pointed at cities and could be launched, uh, some of them, at a minute's notice. And that's really bloody scary, Um, especially when you find out things... A few little interviews in here reveal that when the Americans launched a rocket to study the Northern Lights just off the coast of Norway, they told the Russians, but someone at Russian command didn't tell someone else. And this was in 95, and Yeltsin um, was handed the button. And if he had followed protocol, he should have launched uh, preemptive strikes against the United States of America. But he said it didn't feel right. Uh, and he refused to launch. Understatement of the century there from Yeltsin. Yeah, uh, and one of the the guy on the documentary actually says he wasn't drunk at the time. (laughs) 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 Which, again, you think, and just think, God, if if someone had woken Yeltsin up at like two in the morning after a binge, and he just, yeah, it hit, and it's really scary. But there's there's some great high-profile speakers in here. They've got Jimmy Carter. They speak to Tony Blair. um, They speak to a lot of CIA people very high up. Like I say, some really good footage. It's a very well-made documentary. My one criticism of it would be is it is very one-sided. And I know it's difficult to say, well, what's the other side, that nuclear bombs are good? and so, you know. But um, it feels like a campaign video for nuclear disarmament at times. And I think it could have been, there could have just been a little more context about the history of where weapons came from and stuff. But there's some really, really good quote, um, actual footage of Oppenheimer, who basically invented the atomic bomb. And there's him answering questions from Congress back in the 50s and him then saying, there's no way you can stop terrorists getting hold of this weapon and possibly using it. No, I suppose, I suppose, if, I suppose if it's too established nations who have got nukes mm. it's quite easy to you know, use them as a deterrent because it's you know where you're going to aim them then you know where they're going to be aimed at you say exactly. if you bomb washington i'm going to bomb moscow but if a terrorist yeah. has got it and you don't really know where their base is or where they're set up they can say we're going to bomb washington and you're like well which cave exactly. you're hiding in where am i meant to bomb yeah, uh, and that, I think, it explores that real change. Um, also talks about the fact that we don't know how much um, enriched uranium is actually out there. Um, with it. And talking about <coughs> all of these ex-Russian states <coughs> where they've caught people trying to sell enriched uranium, and each time they've caught someone, it's just been serendipity. It's not been like uh, months-long uh, months of investigation and surveillance. It's just like someone has been stupid enough to try and sell it along with some used car batteries and stuff like that. That's where it's it on gets eBay. really scary. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a well-made documentary and it's definitely a subject people should know more about. Um, so, yeah, I'd, it's on Netflix UK. It's free to watch. If you're on Netflix, go for it. Okay. Um, well, this week... I'll quickly mention God Bless America because I know a couple. Uh, Jerry's definitely reviewed it before on here, and I've seen it, and yeah. other people have seen it and mentioned it. I thought it started off well and then kind of lost it, lost its way. It sort of started off well as sort of being a satire on you know pop culture and what's wrong with modern society, and then it just kind of I don't know if it lost that or it. It, tend, it seemed to me like it started parodying itself. Yeah, there's a section where it goes a bit B movie ish and goes mm. just, you know, it's I just agree with that as well. Yeah, them doing stuff, which I think loses some of its impact. But I think, I think the way he he manages to get the high impact bits at the start and the end. So I think the overall impression of it is perhaps better because you know the things that stick in your mind are the beginning and the end. And I think the the better bits of the film are in the early stages and then the later stages. So he it, it kind of gets away with it because of that. But yeah. I, I do love God Bless America. It's a, oh, 
there's just so many so many things that I just think yes that is that is absolutely you know, true. considering another thing that happened to me in the cinema this week it did resonate with me when he went and shot everyone who was in the cinema pissing him off um but yeah I went well, obviously went to see the Born Legacy to review for this and the cinema was reasonably empty just a few people in it no one really causing a problem but I'm on my own I'm sat you know, in a reasonably empty part of the cinema, no one around me, this guy's got the whole cinema to choose from and he sits literally with one seat as a gap between us. I just think, <laughs> what what is your problem, really? Why would you Did do that? Did he try that? and touch you, Steve? No, but I mean, in a million years, why would anyone do that? Were you quite near the middle? A lot of people like to try and get really near I was, the middle, I was which quite, is why I usually sit at the side. I was quite central, but I mean, why would you just sit the row in front of us? Just, oh, what is wrong with People, I don't like people. <laughs> well, that's never across. Before. I don't like the general public. If I know you, you're probably fine. But if I don't know you, I probably dislike you already. <laughs> uh, but the other film I watched was World. You Great... keep reading the listeners in, Steve. Yeah, I like the listeners. They don't interact with me. <laughs> I, I I watched World's Greatest Dad, which stars Robin Williams. And when you hear the title and his name, you kind of think it's probably one of these rubbish family comedies that he's made recently. But it's it's definitely not that. It is very good. He's brilliant in it, and it's sort of he is funny in it in bits, but it's it's not a comedy. So he's at his non-comedic best or near to it. If anyone else seen it, just no. It's another um, thingy though, isn't it? It's a Bobcat Goldthwait film, like God Bless America. Yeah, um, and basically he's he's got a teenage son who um dies can i say asphyxy wank on this podcast i just have (laughs) 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 ultimately steve you can always cut anything out yeah yeah go for it yeah his son just remember to tick explicit on itunes (laughs) his his son's a bit of a weirdo um a bit of an arsehole not like you know really horrible or anything like that but just a bit of a dick and he ends up dying having an asphyxia wank, which, 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 <laughs> Say is, it again. Yeah, <laughs> which, which his dad obviously finds really embarrassing. Um, and his dad's, you know, a, a writer who's ended up not being very good at writing. So he's become a teacher. Um, and he writes a, su- he pretends it's a suicide basically. So no one finds out that his son died having an asphyxia wank. So does he? Does he like move? Oh, I don't really want to think about the practicalities of how he covers this up as a suicide. But he, does basically, he, he basically fakes it, um, you know, as a suicide by him hanging himself in his wardrobe. Um, but yeah, it's all about. It's, it, the main point of the film is that his son was a dick and didn't really have many friends except this one kid at school. But after he dies, and you know, he writes his suicide note and then writes his diary. All the kids at school pretend that they had some kind of connection with him and it's just sort of him realising how fake they all are and how much it sort of drives him mad that everyone is basically lying to him about his son because his son was an arse. See, this is another thing. I See, Bobcat Goldthwait, right? This guy is like me, but he just makes films. That's another thing, like competitive grief. Do you know what I mean? Everybody who ever gets killed, oh, such a lovely lad. You know, he, he, everyone liked him. He was kind to everyone. Didn't have a bad bone in his body. Well, he was a member of a fucking gang. He got killed in a shootout. What do you mean he was a lovely lad? Do you know what I mean? It's it's that kind of thing. I yeah. know exactly what 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 he's. But yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's, it's like Ro- I know Robin Williams is a comedic best in in films like Mrs. Doubtfire and. And Jumanji, but he's got a non-comedic best as well. <laughs> sorry, sorry, did we just put the word comedic best and Jumanji in the same? Do you not like? How can you not like Jumanji? <laughs> this is one of those sacred parts of Steve's childhood that you're just not going to exactly. Be James James was about twenty-five when Jumanji like came out. He's not going to have any kind of relation to it. But yeah, he's got he's got a non-comedic best as well, and this is this is pretty close to it. He's, he's a really the... good serious actor. I mean, I think that gets missed out a lot. Yeah, because people look at his film. People look at his filmography and see Flubber, and that's what they were associating with. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like in Insomnia, the Chris Nolan film, he's mm. he's really good in that. He's um, excellent. And One Hour Photo as well is another one where he, you know, yeah, he's, he's very really, scary in that. Yeah, yeah, very intimidating side to it. I think. Oh, and what have you been watching then? 
Uh, I, what I've been watching is about four different Rocky films. <laughs> Seeing as um, Jerry talked about Rocky Four on the last podcast, and I thought, well, I haven't actually seen the rest of them, so I did watch two, three, four, and five, which vary in quality. Um, but the actual film I wanted to talk about was Rope, the Hitchcock film from 1948. It's about two men who uh, strangle a classmate who they deem to be inferior to them. And then hide his body. Thanks, like Jerry. <laughs> Very hey, yeah. hey. <laughs> But they uh, hide his body in their apartment, and then invite all his friends and family around to a dinner party uh, at that same apartment as a means to sort of challenge their perfection of the crime, as it were. And I mean, it seems like a really silly plot. I think the the idea behind it just seems a bit. Um, Stupid, really. But it, it's so tense. I mean, it's Hitchcock at his best, I think, when he's sort of, um, you know, just getting the, the characters to converse with each other and just the little slight expressions on their faces, which somehow are enhanced by the way he's filmed them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's very slight movements by them, and it just it builds to this massive, dramatic scene towards the end where you're just on the edge of your seat because you just have no idea what's going to happen. Even all the way through it, you kind of tensing up at certain points thinking, oh, are they, are they, getting, are they going to get away with it? Or is this, is this the moment they found out? But, you know, Hitchcock is just a master of suspense and tension, isn't it? So it's, um, I think I mentioned last week that Die for Murder was my favourite Hitchcock film when we were talking about Vertigo. Yes. And, you know, Rear Window as well, I've seen Rear Window, mm, that's very yeah. good. Um, Rope is probably, I'd say, it's similar in style to Dylan for Murder because it all takes place in just one little apartment with a few people around and they're trying to unravel stuff about, you know, what's what's going on and things like that. But it's just, um, just like I say, just brilliant. It's tense and, um, you know, it's got great performances in it. John Dole is in it and Farley Granger are the two who committed the murder. And... Um, John Dole is, is brilliant. I haven't seen him in anything else, actually. And having a look at his um, IMDb profile, it doesn't seem like he's been in many things. I think he was more of a theatre actor. But he was great in this. I thought it was, it was fantastic. It reminds me a little bit of a young Ray Wise. Um, mm-hmm. He kind of and has that thing. Sorry, James, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, it, I was going to say it's interesting you said that he's a stage actor because it definitely shows in Rope because I th- and also th- Rope is based on a play if I remember correctly um, a play from like 1920 something or something like that so yeah it, it feels quite theatrical but in a good way mm-hmm. that's right yeah but I mean it deals with a lot of different things as well mainly about the morality of murder and, and um, you know is one person better than another person and all that kind of thing so there are a lot of interesting themes to it but um, as just a, a tense drama film I think it's brilliant like I say Probably not my favourite Hitchcock film, but definitely one of them, because it's, it's brilliant. And if you haven't seen it, I'd, I'd probably rank this higher than Vertigo, just from the way it's filmed. Yeah, I enjoyed it more than Vertigo, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking, speaking of tense drama films, on to the main review. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry take it over, Steve. Can you <laughs> leave the hosting up to somebody who knows what they're doing? Because well, you... someone had to make the joke. Well, we might as well go on to the main review, but quickly, yeah. briefly, before we do, yes. James, as the person who schedules what films we're going to see, please do not make me go and watch the fucking Sweeney. <sighs> yeah, you're talking about the orange advert beforehand. No, I'm talking about the actual trailer <laughs> yeah, that I watched yeah. for the Sweeney. Oh, I've, I've still not seen the trailer for no, the Sweeney. I, 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 I saw, saw the trailer. I got the orange advert. Which I, got the, my no, I got, I got, I got both. Replaced the Expendables. I got both. I had the orange trailer and I had a proper trailer for the film, The Sweeney. Oh goodness me! Um, it's got it's got the daddy in it. Is it got Ray? It's Mondo? got Ray Winston in it, which is which is usually fine because I don't you know I don't mind him, but in this film he just him and Plan B, who for some reason is transversed into acting. Is, he was he was in Kiddlehood and Adulthood, Plan B back in the day. Back when he's a bad boy rap film. True. Now. He's probably he's made, both, he's made a film himself. The both of, the both of them barely seem like they can speak, like. For, yeah. Not like speakers in like the terrible urban accents you saw in Attack the Block, but like they don't seem like they can get words out of their bloody mouths. <laughs> you can barely understand a word they're saying. Damien Lewis is in it as well. I really don't really? know why. Yeah, he's like a, like a colleague of theirs, but like yeah. not a main character. I just think, why are you in this? You could you could be like yeah. a 
you could be like the lead role in a film that is the same kind of thing as a Sweeney, but better. And then I in the trailer, and then in the trailer, you have the you know the the popular quote from the TV series of the Sweeney, and it's just oh, get just yeah. get your trousers on your neck. Oh, just oh, no, make good films, not this. So we're not going to see that. No, okay, I'll make sure we don't go and see that. There'll be something there that week. I'd rather burn my retinas off. Okay. <laughs> anyway, when did you come out. I've no idea. Actually. Later, I it's quite soon. Somewhere else. I saw a poster in the cinema for it, so it must. I think it's Septemberish, October time. Going to be making bloody film version of Z Car soon. I'm not... <laughs> well, I must say though, speaking of sort of slightly unoriginal remakes, actually the the trailer for Total Recall really excited me, big time. Just looks yeah, like a good, fun forward. action film. Yeah, which we will be reviewing. In, is that where we were going? What What are we reviewing in the next few weeks? Or no, I was just pointing no, out I don't ever want to watch. No, because people because people now, if they're going to the cinema in the next few weeks, they're going to be seeing a trailer for the Sweeney. And it, oh my God, if if you think that film looks good, I, I'd really worry about you as a person. <laughs> Um, really Sweeney, and, I said, and the watch, I just get the watch every time I go to the cinema. I get, I get, it's on I get, TV I... now, it was all night on Channel mm. 4 the other day. But I, but, I think, just... but I think the watch might actually be a, a decent comedy, but I sort of Sweeney just thought, I'm going to be seeing this for a long time now, and this is not going to be a good film. Do you know what? I don't think I've seen the trailer for the watch. Really? At all. Yeah, but the thing is, I make a habit of turning up slightly late so that I miss half the trailer. Uh, I quite often do that as well. See, yeah. see, before I started doing this podcast, and I didn't go to the cinema sort of once a week, I used to like going and seeing the trailers, but now they're just the same. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why. There are some good trailers at the minute, though. I mean, you mentioned um, Total Recall. There's uh, Dread, which I keep seeing, which looks good. Yeah. I saw Skyfall Looper. Trailer. Yeah, Looper. Skyfall Looper trailer for the first time. I think that looks like it could be mm. interesting. Yeah, Bruce what have they done to Gordon Levitt's face in Looper? Is it's trying to make him look like a younger Bruce Willis, I think. I know, it's really weird. <laughs> My girlfriend didn't even realise that it was him at first. <laughs> Alright, should we talk about the film that we're meant to be reviewing? <laughs> yes. Uh, the Bourne Legacy. Do you want to set that up for us, James? Yeah, so it's the fourth film in the Bourne series. Uh, this time, absent are Matt Damon... <laughs> So no Jason Bourne and also Paul Greengrass uh, not returning as director and uh, directorial duties taken up by Tony Gilroy, who did write at least two of the other films, possibly all three of them, um, and has co-written this and directed this as well. Interestingly, taking place at the same time, pretty much as the Bourne Ultimatum. Yeah, I think it, it more or less starts as soon as the Bourne Ultimatum finishes. I think it oh, it starts before the Bourne Ultimate. It starts with this, the shooting of the Guardian journalist whose name yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, oh, Simon, yeah, just played by know. Paddy Constantine. We'll alert here, but that's not much of a spoiler at all. It, it, apart from the fact that I got excited because I thought, oh, are we going to see a bit? Are we going to see like a bit more Paddy Constantine that we didn't see in Ultimate? Oh no, he's been shot dead again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that excited I, me. I just want to point out though, I have I've seen the first film in the Bourne series. I yeah. haven't seen the others, and the first, like, when I saw it, it was so long ago, I could remember practically nothing about it. So whether that was oh. the reason that the first hour of this film made so very little sense to me, um, right. or perhaps I was just really stupid and didn't get it, or perhaps it's just a really poorly explained story, whatever the reason, I just didn't get on with well. it. I think my, it's a few of those. not seen any of them. <laughs> she hasn't seen any of the original trilogy, and she still sort of understood it. I sort of whispered, oh, Treadstone's like the government program, blah, 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 yeah. blah. And that that was about it, really. And she said it still worked, and it still. I think it seemed. I think you. I think it would be useful, definitely. To I think it's definitely beneficial, but I I actually think they did it all right enough to not need. Yeah, because you can you can piece together that that what they're talking about is you know secret government programs etc etc, and that this is something. I mean, it obviously helps massively, but I think it can still. It's not a necessity to have seen the original trilogy, but I do think it would improve your your experience yeah, I mean, I, a lot. I got that, that whole thing about you know, and I, I, all I could remember from the first film really is that Bourne's got all these extra super senses kind of thing, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he's part of some kind of government thing that he's gone. I just didn't really, other than picking up from this film that actually this guy, Nail, can't remember what his name is, but he's um 
you know, he's got the same kind of abilities and he's, I don't know what he's doing out in the wilderness. Why is he, why is he there? What's he doing? Where's he going? Who's this other guy he's meeting? What? I don't, I didn't really. It, yeah, it was, it, it, it didn't was start very well. I don't think it started very well at all um, as a film. I, I, I didn't like the beginning. Um, it kind of started 20 minutes into a film almost. Um, also, I, I, it's I, not so much that. I think they just didn't need to drag that initial scene out so long because it made sense once he actually made contact. That, that yes. made sense. But then yeah. they, there was no need for all the preceding bit to take so no. long, really. Um, but the stuff with the wolf. That's the stuff with the wolf was laughable. Something with the wolf. You're, yeah, you're, 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 you're briefly watching a sequel to The Grave with Lit from Liam yeah, Neeson. That was weird. I do remember he said something about that. It was odd that the wolves were tracking. He said it wasn't right. But then that was that completely forgotten for the rest of the film? Yeah. What, there, there was an offhand point about the wolves tracking him and they don't usually do that or something. But I thought they did. Uh, like, you know, The Grey. And but yeah, there was a weird bit there which actually didn't get picked up for the rest of the film and I until now I'd forgotten that that had happened but you're right I, I remember watching that and thinking well there's a there's a deleted scene in there somewhere that's going yeah, to quite possibly going to emerge um, what to me it felt like it was impossible for this film to escape the shadow of Jason Bourne um and it almost felt a bit like Harry Lyme in the third man and that you know you, I even though I knew Jason Bourne wasn't going to turn up in this film. It felt like the film wanted you to think he could turn up at any point, and then he doesn't, and, and it's just it, really it, it disappointing. Just kept, it just kept dropping his name in, or his picture yeah. in, and it's just like, well, all right, we know it's the Bourne legacy because we've come in the door. Yeah. We know that it's following on from what he's done. We know it's featuring the same kind of government program that he's been in. You don't need to sort of, we know that Matt Damon's not going to be in it because he keeps saying, I'm not going to be in it. Yeah. You don't need to keep slapping us around the face with the fact that it's a Bourne film. Oh, I'm going to... I actually quite liked the way that oh, they no, mixed it in. I would have I liked yeah, it, if it was quite a, well. If it was a couple of times, you know, it would have been fine, but it just wasn't. It was just to be so... I think I liked the idea more than I liked the execution of it. I, I really... When I heard that it was taking place at the same time as Ultimatum and kind of giving you... Um, a sideways view uh, at stuff that you didn't see. I think, in a way, I'd like them to have had more of what was going on in Ultimatum, but that wouldn't have helped people like um, Owen very well, obviously. Um, but it, it it felt like they they were trying to they were falling between two stools, and it was not a full born film, but they kept wanting to make you think it was. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I see. I think I, I actually enjoyed it more than the rest of you then, because I, I, I actually thought they, they, yeah, I thought they they worked it quite well. I liked that it was sort of an expanded universe, you know, from the original mm. Bond films. I thought Ed Norton was absolutely superb. Um, don't know if anybody oh, else thought disagree. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, with, I agree with Jerry. I thought I, I didn't. Think I thought it was the, his fault. I thought his character was completely pointless. I thought. The, yeah, I, I mean, I think he was great in that role, but they needed to sort of beef it up a bit and build. He more looked old like, as well. I thought the film. I just... thought. I thought the film was sort of an an average watchable sort of action thriller, hmm. but it just didn't seem to be as didn't seem to have as much depth as the previous Bourne films, where it was mm-hmm. actually all quite enjoyable. But there was actually like a a fairly intricate and sort of detailed plot in there and some real character development. Whereas in this one, it didn't seem like there was any of that. So mm. when you know, as, I, as, I'd agree with you. As, 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 as like as like an action thriller, it was good. It was okay. But when you compare it to the rest of the Bourne films, which obviously it is one of the Bourne films, it, it was not that good. Yeah, and I think that's the the disappointment, if you like. Um, but, there, but like because the Bourne universe, I, I've I've bought into. It's a bit like imagine they did a Bond film, but didn't have James Bond. They, had a different they had double du- O. They had double O eight. For, yeah, or, or yeah. like they expanded on Sean Bean in Goldeneye or something yeah. like that. Um, but uh, they, so they did that and then didn't have Bond in it, but also made it just quite an average action film. We'd come out and go, that was a rubbish Bond film, and I came out of this going, that was a that was a poor Bond film. But there were some uh, good there were some good acting performances in it. I mean, despite the film only being sort of yeah. reasonable, I thought Jeremy Renner was really good, and I thought, I thought Ed, Renner was good. I thought Ed Norton was good Weiss too. Was good. Um, yeah. and, and like I said, I thought Norton did well, but his character, when you compare it to the characters of, say, Pamela Landy, played by Joan Allen in the 
uh, second supremacy and ultimatum, Brian Cox and Chris Cooper's character, they had some real motivation. Um, you knew exactly what they were doing mm. and why they were doing it. Whereas with Norton's character, it didn't, it didn't feel like he had a specific place in this universe. He felt like it was, well, we need someone in the government to be the antagonist here. Um, but he had no personal buy-in on, on it. Whereas the other characters, their whole lives and reputations almost were at stake with the fact that this agent was on the loose. Whereas with this guy, um, and I'm, I'm going to need to stop in a minute and go into spoiler alert to expand on why I think this character was really pointless. Um, but that was one of my main issues with it. My other main issue is I thought it was too boring. I thought there was one good fight scene and one good chase scene, and I demand more of that from a Bourne film. Um, I want to make, before we go on to spoiler alert, just a quick point. Uh, uh, this I've seen it in the trailers, and it was a lookalike I spotted from the start. You know the guy who just sort of picks up the mobile phone and phones up Ed Norton and goes, Jason Bourne's in New York. That's it. I've got to go. Yeah, yeah. It looks like Dan Rowan who does sports news, uh, sports news yes, reporting on BBC. Exactly. As soon as I saw him on the trailer, yeah. I thought that looks like Dan Rowan. Yeah, because he's in ultimate. He's in loads of ultimatum he, as well. He's in quite a few films. I can't. Yeah. I don't even remember what his name is, but he's in quite a few that, films. That and... phone call was from Ultimatum, um, and that was one of the clever bits where he, he's ringing someone and they've like threaded that into this film. Yeah. That was one of the bits I did actually quite like. But yeah, yeah. That, See, that was what I was going to use to defend the uh, the interweaving <laughs> bit. I thought they did that quite nicely. Um, yeah. Oh no, I think I, I I take take your point about it being sort of a fairly standard action film, but I, I thought it was very enjoyable. I mean, don't I don't think people listening should think, oh, I won't bother watching it because no, it is look, a good film. Yeah, no, it's, 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 the it's, second it's, half is good film. The second half is well, I mean, it's good as a, a sort of popcorn munching action thriller kind yeah, of film. But it doesn't stand up to the rest of the Bourne films. That's it. I don't really have that comparison to make. Yeah. I still thought the second half was, you know, it was a decent action I, film. I thought, for, parts of it reminded me of um, Hannah, the uh, recent film with Eric Banner and, uh, what's the name, Surrey's, yeah, um, directed by Joe Wright, where, which again had kind of bits that were quite meditative, um, slower moving bits, but it was far more aesthetically pleasing. It felt like the what I would call the boring bits in this film um, were just boring bits. They weren't in it for any artistic reason. It was just uh, compared to basically Bourne rebuilt um, and it Bourne made Bond up its game. Bourne really changed the landscape for action films uh, when Bourne Identity came out, and then when those films came in. Completely changed the landscape. People did things differently in action films because of the Bourne films. And it was almost like this was a film that would have happened before the Bourne movies, to me. I don't know. I thought the action sequences were, were where they were. I think there wasn't enough of them, but I think where they were, I thought they were in the same style. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, actually, you can't really tell. That, you know, I think Greengrass is an excellent director of action. And I think you couldn't really tell that he wasn't at the helm and the action sequences. No, so, no, yeah, but that, yeah, you're right. There weren't enough of them. Um, no. And also, there was there were good action sequences, but apart from one right in the middle, which was fantastic, brilliantly done. I love the build up to that, but especially at the end, um, it looked good, but had it had no content to it. Um, I didn't believe it, and I didn't believe the characters in it, and I didn't think there was enough peril there. Like that, that's again. I'll I'll save the rest of that for spoiler review. Well, let's spoiler let's, review. let's just go on the spoiler review, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it done. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. Don't listen on if you don't want the film ruined for you. Um, where should we start then? Let's start with the ending. Just yeah. just kind of happened, didn't it? Yeah, and I'm sorry, this ultimate soldier, um, treadstone without the inconsistency thingy, without the emotional, uh, yeah, larks three or whatever it was called. That guy was beaten far too easily for my liking. Um, that, and that's what I said. That, that bit with the motorbike chase was actually really cool to watch. Um, but I never at any point felt that uh, uh, Cross, isn't it? Yeah, Aaron Cross was in danger there. And this was a man who should have been recovering from near death. I, I, I know I'm picking holes in an action film, but um, Bourne's 
the Bourne films previously have been very realistic. Um, and I Matt think Damon, the Speedy Recovered was a bit jolting, yeah. shall we say. It, yes. He seemed to just be like, oh, look, I'm, I'm yeah. magically, this this fever that nearly killed me the last time. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, but is that because look, he's already taken the, the pill that gives it, the, the virus that gives him the, you know, super physical. Oh, right, yeah. Stuff, okay. Maybe he could have recovered a lot quicker from the intellectual pill. That, that that's true. No, that's, that's a good that's point. A fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but I, th- I think the fact that you're right, the ending just ends. And also, what annoys me is that whole ending section. Okay, up till now, we've had Ed Norton being the man who's trying to stop Aaron Cross. Um, but with no kind of, not a huge amount of moral dilemma there for him. He just needs to stop it. He does have that conversation about needing to make the right, the tough decisions. And that's fair enough. And then they just hand over that to this ultimate super soldier who's come out of nowhere. Um, and like, right, yeah, you've got to kill Bourne now. And then he fails, and then the film ends. And it, it just... And yeah, I'm, but if you think back to the original ones, there was your man who was like the sniper when he's in that... Um, uh, Clive Owen, oh, yeah. Um, but they had, they had a, there was that they, conversation they between the of... two of them. Um, there was a character there. I didn't feel this guy at the end had any character whatsoever. No, they could have just, you know, when he handed over the bag to the handler as he got off the plane, I think they could have just dropped a little, you know, a 30-second to a minute thing in there and give him a bit more of a character, and that would have been enough to make it more, you know, meaningful as a a chase thing. But they do have a history of just sort of dropping these characters, and then Bourne just goes, and just, you know... Yeah, but when he kills Clive Owen... Um, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant scene. That whole um, bit out in the wilderness where he tracks around and gets him and the ducks flying up in the air and everything. I love that scene anyway. I love the Bourne Identity. Oh, yeah. Um, but they have a conversation uh, and they have a shared moment of the fact that they're both products of this system. Um, and you, you get a sense of the fact that Clive Owen doesn't speak up until that point in that entire film, but you get a few lines of dialogue and they build up an entire character very well in that section. This bad guy at the end um, just felt like generic off-the-shelf bad guy that they'd shoved in there. I had no clue about who he is as a character, where he's come from, and it just felt a little bit rushed and a bit, yeah, here's a bad guy. You're just going to have to believe us that he's really good because we've told you he is. Um, yeah, but, one of, yeah, I mean, one of the things I really liked about the film in general was its sort of use of locations. So I think when they had the, the stuff at the, the beginning with the snowy peaks and then all the way through to the, the filming bit in the factory and the rooftops in the Philippines, yeah. it felt like the, um, uh, Tony Gilroy, he just kind of thought, we've got this brilliant location. You know, it's meant to be an action film. Let's just have a chase scene. And yeah. they thought, how, how can we make the best use of this, uh, you know, location? And they just thought, well, we'll have a guy chase, chase him through the town on a motorbike. Who's that? And then that, thought, that okay. is kind of a born trademark, Bill. And yeah. I know you haven't seen. That's kind of what they do all the way yeah. through. Yeah, they just go yeah. all around the world and just yeah. the do other some thing nice is, shots. And maybe it's me. I really like the fact that the most of the previous films took place in Europe. Um, and this, and that also made, that helped stand out the series, I think, a little bit. The series always looked a little bit different because large blocks of it were filmed in Prague, Moscow, um, you know, London. Um, Paris, yeah. It was ve- Yeah, it was very Eurocentric, which really did make it stand out against this film looked, again, more like a generic average action film simply because a lot of the locations were generic average action film locations that we've seen a lot of. I think the end was really good, but I've seen, um, wasn't it the end of Mission Impossible 3 was in the Manila? I can't remember, but I, I felt like I'd seen it I don't it know, I hate Tom Cruise, so I haven't watched that, <laughs> that film. But I'm pretty sure the end of that was in, the, so it felt like I'd seen it before in a Mission Impossible film. Uh, I did like the the house, though, Rachel Vice's house. I thought that was quite a nice location. That was a brilliant location, and that was my favourite bit of the whole film. Yeah, Um, I think think that was probably the standout bit, wasn't it? She was really good in that. Um, It was just a bit... It it wasn't just a standard action scene. It was a bit of cleverness in what was actually happening. Exactly. There was the interrogation before, and Mm. you you knew... I think deep down you knew they were there to kill her, but at the same time, it wasn't obvious... And you kind of wanted to believe that they were helping her, and... exactly. And it, and and it did, wasn't obvious that to... it wasn't obvious that Cross was there. No, um, the the one I, I suppose 
they, the one criticism I would have had is, he, oh, that was a bit lucky that he was there. Mm. And I, mean, I you, think they could have had a little bit mm. more of him tracking her. I mean, you see him look at a newspaper with her on the front page, and that's yeah. the only inclination you get that he's going to look for her. But when he's actually there, you kind of forget, you know. Yeah. I think there could I th- have I been a little bit the, more tracking. The best thing you can say about it, though, is that it drew you into that scene so much. You kind of forgot mm. about him for a yeah, while. I thought he was going to rock up at the front door and ring the bell rather than sort of be hidden in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, you're exactly right there, Jerry. You did forget about the, the born proxy, basically. You, you were very focused on that one particular character, and that is credit to the filmmakers, and that's credit to Rachel Weisz, that we got drawn into her story and um, got really sucked into her story should we, brilliantly. Should, should we round up this podcast by talking about the ending? Because as I mentioned at the top of Spoiler Alert, it just kind of happened, didn't it? Yeah. I, I, when they were on that, you know, on the the Philippine, I suppose it was a shipping boat, and the little boy come up to me on a map, I thought there's going to be a little, you know, yeah. we've been in here a while, but there's going to be a little bit more of this film. It's not just going to end, and, and it just did. And again, previous Bourne films had a little kind of just slight pre-credit scene, just a couple of minutes, but you know, letting you know that everything's okay. But there was there was something else. Whereas this was, all right, they're just lying on a boat going yeah, off somewhere. It was that was it was to the guy who owned the boat. Can you help us, please? And he's yeah. on the boat. The kid brings him a map. You think right, a bit more escaping to do now. He's only yeah. just got out of the Philippines. He can't be that far away. Yeah. Oh, no, no, um, no, that's it. Film over. It was. I think that would be quite, it, it must be leading into a sequel, though, surely. That will be. Um, yeah, it's got. I'll, I'll forgive this film if it leads to a sequel with Damon coming back and Greengrass at the helm. Um, but that ending bit did remind. Um, I love uh, Moby's Extreme Ways. It, it that is almost like a Bond theme to me now. That um, that at the end of the film, and that's at the end of each of the films. That becomes. Uh, that becomes such a recognisable tune and. Hearing that it made me think, right, I just want to go home and watch the rest of the Bourne trilogy again now. My my sort of explanation for the suddenness of the ending, well, as I was like sort of scrambling around to find uh, a, a reason, I thought, well, maybe he's written a few of the Bourne films uh, mm. and I thought maybe he really wanted to have a boat scene, you know, an action sequence on that boat, you know, on the little sort of... Yeah. I don't, don't know what kind of boat it was, but that sort of typically Thai-Philippine kind of yeah. funny, pointy boat thing. Um <laughs> That's the technical term for all you uh, naval <laughs> fanatics out there. Um, and I think maybe he just thought, well, I don't have the time to put this in, uh, but if I leave it here, I'm going to pick straight up. And maybe if he can convince Matt Damon to get back, then maybe you know Matt Damon will turn up or you know something will happen on the boat. But I suspect that if they do a sequel, it will literally be one of those where it picks up on that boat and yeah. runs seamlessly kind of thing. And I, I think that might be his intention, is that he wants to put a scene on the boat. Ah, okay. That's interesting. That's an interesting point of view. Fletcher's explanation. Yeah, I think. (laughs) What's going on? I think it needs a sequel, but it needs a sequel. You can't do another Bourne film without Bourne. I I think. I I wasn't keen on this at all. I think, Jerry, you preferred it more, but I think pushing it more than one film without Bourne in it is stretching it too far, yeah? I I think the expanded universe thing only works. On, in one film because it yeah. works because it's running alongside and you're like oh yeah. you know I see how it's interacting and you know suddenly the scope of all these government projects has expanded massively and you're mm. getting a real human element because it, it is sort of hinted at that there's lots of other programs and they're just like oh yeah. we'll shut them down but now it's like oh it's a real human element and you know the, the, all, the, all the other agents and all the other programs being killed off mm. that was quite a oh yeah they're pretty cold brutal kind of it's a kind yeah. of a brutal attitude to it and you perhaps didn't think about that when because they were fixated on Bourne in the first film so that was nice but I'm not sure it works over an yeah, extended I'd like to know what happens to Pamela Landy as well because I think Joan Allen's Pamela Landy has been really good in the Bourne series and it looks like they've set it up for her to be like I was taking gonna say, the I think they hinted at that everything. they hinted yeah, at so bringing her into the next one because there was just that little bit where it lingered a, a little bit longer on her bit and they mentioned her a couple of times and, yeah, they just and got she got an added credit at the end yeah <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I wasn't a fan of this film, but I hope it makes enough money for them to justify a sequel. There you go. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to a sequel as well, especially if they can and, explore more of this relationship between um, Renner and Ed Norton's characters. Yeah, like and you need up. to watch the rest. Owen, oh, I can't believe you've not watched Supremacy and Ultimatum. Sh- <laughs> I'm very yeah. disappointed. 
Well, uh, that's all for this week. Um, but in a few days' time, you'll be able to listen to Triple Bill, which is our favourite fight scenes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.